As I mentioned in the introduction to our service, the last two weeks we've been focusing on the theme, Have a Heart. We all have one, don't we? Have you ever seen yours? I have to confess, I've never seen mine. But I guess uh, this is kind of what it looks like. Not very pretty, huh? Are you aware of the fact that daily your heart beats 1,000 times, it pumps five to six quarts of blood per minute, pumps 2,000 gallons today through a system of 60,000 miles of arteries, veins, and capillaries? Your heart is a workhorse that's just an absolutely amazing organ. But for a lot of people, the heart is a source of trouble. They suffer from angina or congenital heart failure or valve problems or coronary artery disease and heart attacks. Every year in the United States, 700,000 to 1.5 million people suffer heart attacks and on the average every year, there are over 600,000 people who pass away as a result of heart attacks. Now, when you compare it to the over 300 million people that are living in our country, you might say, well, you know, that's a very, very small percentage. And that's true. But when those things happen, it not only affects those people, it affects all kinds of other people around them. But we all have heart problems, don't we? Jesus, one time when he was facing off, you might say, against some Pharisees and some leaders of the Jews, told people, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is not from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thought comes, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. He's pointing out the fact that even though we may not have physical heart problems, we all have spiritual heart problems, and that's because of sin. We have heart troubles. So rather than putting God first in our, our lives, we may find ourselves, well, putting ourselves before God, maybe even our families before others around us. When it comes to ourselves, we may be absolutely generous and lavish ourselves with all kinds of things, but when it comes to our offerings to God, we may find ourselves being very stingy, even though God says, honor me with your wealth. We may find that we neglect our families when it, it comes to things that are really important. God may give us blessings and we never take the time to thank him. We may turn our backs on the legitimate needs of others. We may buy too big, spend too much, borrow too often. We may buy into the lie that the devil tries to get us to buy into that we always need to have bigger, better, and more. And we don't stop to think about the consequences so we spend, we borrow, we go for more and more things, and after a while we find ourselves in over our heads in debt, or maybe struggling to try to take care of all the things that we've amassed. We see that Jesus is very, very true when he talks about out of the heart come all kinds of things that are in that category of sin. 
We have heart problems, heart troubles that are caused by sin. It affects our heart and soul and gets in the way of our glorifying God. So while physically only a part of our population deals with heart problems, spiritually we all do. The next section that we continue to look at from the word of our God is Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. There the Holy Spirit moved the writer to write, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Keep your lives free from the love of money. No problem, we may say. We're Christians. We know better, right? Well, consider the audience to whom the writer is writing. They, too, were Christians. They were Jewish Christians who were in danger of falling away from the faith in the Lord because of the persecutions they were undergoing. If God didn't think that there was danger for even us Christians to slide into loving money, he wouldn't have had his holy writer to write these words. Christians can be tempted to love money and material things. While it can happen very suddenly and very dramatically, most likely it happens so subtly that we don't even realize it. A lot of families probably wish that they had more money because there's always that challenge of, of, of having income meet expenses, and it seems that so often the, the expenses exceed the income. I'm sure that students would like to have more money to pay tuition and, and personal costs and, and uh, to buy other things that perhaps they need. Farmers and business people are always looking at their profit-to-debt ratio and probably wish that there would be more of the, the former, the profit, than the, the latter. And in every case, there's probably a fine line between seeing the need for more money and falling in love with it. Or we can look at others around us and see all the things that we have and we may become jealous and we yearn for more and we yearn for the money then to have it. And there's a fine line between that yearning and that loving. Those who have it perhaps can, can enjoy the things that the money in their lives buys so much that they love the money that they have. Or they may find that what they have is never enough or seeing the power and the possessions that money can bring, they fall in love with it. So God says, don't go there. Why does he give us this prohibition? Well, first of all, when we love money, we're violating the first commandment, and we're not glorifying God the way he wants us to. Then there is the fact that those who love money never have enough of it. The, the book of Proverbs talks about this. There's also the, the trouble that money brings. A lot of times, people take shortcuts to get money, or, or maybe they're working so hard that they're neglecting their family, they're neglecting their health, and so they, they find that family life is ruined, health is ruined, spiritual life is ruined, faith is ruined, forever is lost. And the final reason that our Lord Jesus tells us is that Money and material things are fleeting in nature. He talks about the fact that moth and rust destroy and thieves can break in and steal them. 
So God, out of zeal, to be the only God in our lives, and out of love, because he doesn't want us to fall into the the harmful loving of money, tells us not to love money. But at the same time, he encourages us, be content with what you have. To be content is to be satisfied. It's to have the attitude, I have enough. Being content is being content to be content. However, the problem with contentment is that it's not part of our human DNA. So how do we find contentment? Well, just a few verses after the the verse that we're considering right here. The writer to the Hebrews wrote these words. He said, May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant, brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, May he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And so what the writer is saying, what God prescribes here, that is contentment, he produces through the power of the peace that we have in Jesus. Jesus removed our curse of sin by his holy life, by his death on the cross. And he assures us of this through his resurrection from the dead. So as a result, through faith in Jesus, we enjoy the forgiveness of sins. We have his holiness. We are acceptable in God's sight. We have peace with God each and every day, each each moment of every day. And when we focus on this love of God in Jesus, and we're reminded, God loved me so much that he gave himself living, dying, and rising again for my forgiveness and eternal life. It gives power to cope with the trials and the challenges of life. We know God loves us, forgives us, and is going to take care of us with the standard of living that is best for us. You know, the Apostle Paul, when he was writing to the Philippians in chapter 4, wrote these words. He said, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. So the love of God moves us to conclude, if God loves me so much, won't he care for me? And I think the answer is yes. Does he not know the level of blessing that is best for me? Does he not know the the standard of living that I can handle? Such conclusions bring contentment. So God prescribes and provides contentment, and then he reinforces it with this little promise that he puts at the end of that, that fifth verse of Hebrews 13. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. This was a promise that God made to the people of Israel back in the the time of Deuteronomy, when Joshua had been appointed to succeed Moses, and there were all those Israelites ready to enter into the promised land. Several million people total, and God assured them that he would always be with them. God promised to be with and bless Joshua and his people. God promised to be with and bless the the people to whom the writer to the Hebrews was writing And God promises to you and to me, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you.
Our next section that we focus on is have a heart for godly trust. And we focus our thoughts on the word of Jesus as he spoke in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verses 24 to 33. Please stand for the gospel reading. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Please join with me on the last verse, 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. As Jesus taught his disciples in that Sermon on the Mount, he knew that one of the temptations, one of the struggles that they faced was with worry and fear. What are we going to eat and what are we going to wear and where are we going to sleep? Where are we going to live? What about all these earthly things in life, Jesus? Sure, you're giving us the bread of life and you're teaching us all kinds of things about the kingdom of heaven, but there's the other side of our lives to the physical side. And aren't we tempted to perhaps feel the same way? You know, how are we going to pay the mortgage? How are we going to make our car payments? How are we going to take care of the insurance premiums? How are we going to cover the medical bills? Or it could be more. Jesus directed his disciples and he directs us to look at nature. He asked us to consider the birds of the air. They don't punch the clock, do they? They don't, they don't build barns and storehouses, and yet every day God is taking care of them. And Jesus made the point, you and I are far more valuable than the the, the birds of the air, you think of how God loved us so much that he gave his one and only son for us that we might be his for time and for eternity. Or think about how we get so wrapped up in what we wear. Now I realize that we need to, to have clothes and especially as it's uh, getting colder, we need to have more clothes. But God asks us to consider the flowers of the field, the flowers that, that dress the grass, the flowers that dress the weeds, the flowers that grow in our gardens. You think about how beautiful they are and how to, to try to create something like that is almost impossible. Jesus makes the point that Solomon would have drooled over the, 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 beauty, the beauty of the fashions of the flowers of the field. They so 
surpass what, what he could come up with and create and what he could wear. Jesus says, so don't worry. Trust that God is going to take care of you. Have a heart, in other words. Have a heart for trust. Jesus went on to say, Your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Make your relationship with God the most important thing in life. Strive to grow in faith and to live godly lives. God loves you. Receive his blessings with thanksgiving. Manage your material things well. Manage your money well. Use it for your offerings. Use it for your family. Use it for others that have legitimate needs. Set aside some for those times when maybe the unexpected is going to arise and you need those emergency funds. But trust through it all that God will take care of you. Food, clothes, money, a place to live. Remember and join with me. Your heavenly Father knows that you need him, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So have a heart for godly trust.